I just want you to think about uh, just what, what time of year this is. Yes, it's Christmas time, but also, um, I know school is, is ending, and uh, students have just had their final exams, okay? Now, how many of you are students with finals, like legitimate finals? Yes, you two guys in the back, the Hook Boys in the back, Armin and Amanda, and I know Aisha, uh, Alicia, we saw you. I saw you the other day, all done with finals, back from college, wonderful. And they're all done, and you got a couple weeks off now to kind of enjoy life, if you will, and uh, read other things rather than what everyone tells you to read. Um, but it's interesting that as finals ends, there are, there, there, there's a there's period between the taking of the finals and the posting of your grades. And uh, some people are just longing for that A think they got a chance at it, longing for that A, and others would be like happy, happy with a B, and others like would love a C, if you know what I'm talking about, and uh, just some, some are just longing to pass their exams, just to, just to get done, to pass their classes, um, but I know everybody wants to pass their classes. Well, today we're going to look at a test that you want to pass. I mean, there, there might be some where you just say, well, I don't nearly need to do that because you can always retake a class, right? But you cannot retake this test. It's called the, the love test. We've been going through the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 today, and we're going to hit the love test. Okay, we've got three testes, tests, and uh, do you guys remember what they are? The first test is the OLD. The first test is the obedience test. You say you love God. Are you obeying God? If you are obeying God, then you have evidence in your life that you are there. Uh, what about L? L is the love test, and that's what today is, the love test, right? You just look around, look at your life. Are you loving others? Are you loving fellow believers? And as you see that, then you'll have confidence that indeed you are a believer. That's what First John is, is writing about. And then the D is called the, the doctrinal test. That is the, the test where you say, am I believing in the genuine God of the Scripture or am I believing in a figment of my imagination? Today we're going to hit the love test. You want to pass this test. First John 4, verses 7 through 12. Let me just read them for you now. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, in these six verses, there are are two commands. The first comes in verse 7, and the second one comes in verse 11, and these commands are actually one and the same. Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's a clear call. Love one another. He says it twice. Verse 7 and verse 11. And, and everything in between supports those two commands, which are one and the same. 
But they don't support it telling us how to love. Like 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says that we ought to love each other stretchingly or earnestly or fervently. It doesn't, doesn't say that, how we ought to love. Or it doesn't tell us that we should love each other by being patient or kind or bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, like 1 Corinthians 13 says. No, but these verses support the command telling us why to love each other. And when it comes down to it, the reason is simple. We love because God first loved us. There's a, there's a priority here. There's a, there's a preference here. In fact, that's exactly what verse 19 says. We love because he first loved us. It was God's love for us that then drives our love. That's why we love is because of, of God's love for us. And that is the argument of our text today. If you, if you look at verse 11... Beloved, if God so loved us, and you could even put in there first, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. Right? Since God loved us, we respond. He loved us first, so we respond in love towards others. This is an argument of verse 7, I do believe. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love originates in God first, and then we love because love comes from God through us than to other people. It doesn't originate with us. Same argument is in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. See, it's, it's not that, that we loved Him first, but it's that He loved us and showed us and taught us love. Therefore, therefore we love. And so what I want to do this morning is focus on the, the first part and then we'll focus on the second part. The first part is God's love for us. The second part is our love for each other. And so by way of outline, I really have three points love one another second point is god loved us third point is love one another so we're going to start with the second point which is really the the first point in time but it's the second point in the text i I know you know what i mean verse verse nine god loved us my second point this morning and then we'll come back and pick up the the outer bun of the sandwich if you will in this the love of god was made manifest among us That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, both these verses are practically parallel. Verse 9 says almost the same thing as verse 10 says. They both begin in the same way. Verse 9 says, in this, the love of God was made manifest. Verse 10 says this, in this is love. So it's. God's love, it's love demonstrated, it's, it's God's love explained, and in effect John is saying this, you want to know what love is about? Well, let me tell you what love is about, and he says love is about Christmas, because that's what he described in verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, shown among us that God sent his only son into the world. Verse 10 says this, in this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us, sent his son to the appreciation I'm sorry, in this is love, Um, not that we have loved God, but here it is, that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There is there is Christmas. Love is Christmas. Or as I've entitled my message this morning, Christmas love, which begins with God and ought to work through our lives as well. See, the reason why God sent his son was because of love. We were lost in our sins, headed to eternal death. But God did a loving thing and he rescued us by sending his son to die for us so that we might live through him. In fact, 
Look at how verse 9 says that, the emphasis on life. In this love, God has made manifest that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We were dying, but God sent his son to come and save us. It is, if you will, if we were, we were out drifting on the sea, soon to drown. And, and God sent the rescue out to come and get us. This was the search team that he went out to save us so he wouldn't die, so that we could live. And this emphasis on life, I, just, I was thinking about that with Christmas so often. It, life is included in purposes. So, so, so think about this. When John explained the incarnation, he said, right, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is Christ, the, the pre-incarnate trinity, Jesus came, dwelt among us, and he says in verse 4, in him was life. That just even in coming, Jesus was like life incarnate, the life-giving one, the life-empowering one. And, and, And through John's gospel... How often these I am's focus to life. I I didn't realize it until this week. He says, I am the bread of life. Right? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, see, when we eat and we drink of Jesus, it is life-giving. How about the next I am? I am the light of the world, John 8. He is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So he's got life here. He is the light of the world leading us to the life. You know, you think about you're in a dark place at the end of a tunnel and there's the light there and you want to get out and go to safety or you're in some dark cave and you got to get out. Where do you go? You go towards the light and the light leads you to the life. That's what he's talking about. Or Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's kind of just the I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I've come to give them life. Jesus said, John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. See, Jesus came to give, give life and he came to give eternal life. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we believe in him and we have life eternal. And that was God sending his son into the world. An, an act motivated by love and an act designed to give us life. You say, well, how did Jesus give us life? Let's just hear it again, hear it fresh. He gave us life through his death. In other words, he died for our sins that we might live. That, that was clear from the very moment that um, Jesus even before he was conceived, as Brian read in Luke chapter 2. Or in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, the angel said to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He will give them life. He will die on the cross, pay for our sins. And in fact, that's exactly where verse 10 is going. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And there's that word again. It's a big word. The noun form is used only four times in the Bible, but it is packed. It came, we already saw it in chapter 2, verse 2. 
He is the propitiation for our sins. And when you hear the word propitiation, there's another English word that you should think of. And you should think of the word. Yes, who said that? Who said it? Okay, say it again louder, Ryan. Wrath. Propitiation. You think wrath. I mean, that should be like the first thing that comes into your mind is, is wrath and, and anger. And um, because propitiation means that you appease the wrath. You appease the wrath of God, which is different, by the way, than expiation. Some translations use expiation here. I, I think the NIV does. But expiation doesn't mean wrath, doesn't mean appeasing the wrath. Expiation means cleansing, making it clean. And and that's like half of propitiation. First, it is expiated, it is cleaned, but it also satisfying God's wrath. So it's like like goes above and, and beyond that. And the good news of the sacrifice of Christ is that, that the wrath of God's fury is upon us. We live in this world and choose our own pleasures rather than choosing the way of God. His wrath is upon us. But Jesus Christ, through his death, propitiates that wrath, turns that wrath into peace. Like the peace is the second candle, maybe third candle. I forget peace. This candle today. <laughs> it's peace. It's today's candle. So we're celebrating the propitiation. How, 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 how perfect. I thought about that a long time ago, like like 20 seconds ago. I thought about that. Just how, how perfect that is. But propitiation, God's wrath is turned into peace. He's no longer angry with us, but instead our sins are forgiven. And here's the purpose. He delights in us. He would delight to have us. He's taken our wrath for it. Okay, here's, here's an illustration. It's very imperfect, okay? But it helps give you a picture. Husband and wife, early in the morning, have an argument. It's time for husband to go off at work. He goes off to work and, and there's tension in the relationship and it's not resolved. No phone calls throughout the day. No trying to resolve that. No coming home. For lunch, and uh, husband's thinking, what do I need to do to calm this down? And so, as many men do, he's driving home, and he stops by the florist, and he goes to the florist, buys three dozen roses. And he comes home, steps in the door, presents the flowers to his wife as a peace offering, and she loves it. She says, oh, honey, and kind of takes them, puts them aside, gives them a big hug and a big kiss in there. And, they're, kiss, and they're, they're making up because flowers have propitiated her anger. That's now it's it, it fails in lots of ways. But that that that's really what the sacrifice of Christ is. It, it took it took the anger and the hostility away and turned it into love and grace. That's what the cross did for us. God's anger towards us, his righteous anger, because of our sin, was turned into love and grace because of the payment that Christ made, the payment on the cross for our sins. And that's what it means in verse 10, where he says, God sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. But let's push that illustration further because there's even, even better truth in it than this. It goes like this. Husband and wife have an argument. Husband goes off to work. And really what took place is this, is it wasn't the husband's great idea to stop by the florist. Guys, admit it, we're knuckleheads, all right? We're not. It was the wife's idea who drove to the florist, bought the five dozen roses, 
brought them home and set them like right beside the door. So that when he's coming home, right, he's, he's coming home and, and he walks in the door. He sees her and he sees the five dozen roses. And all he's got to do, what? Is like pick him up and present them to her. Like, like these roses are mine. It's kind of my idea. It wasn't, maybe it wasn't my idea, but I'm embracing these roses and putting it there. She gives, he gives her the five dozen roses and hugs and kisses and pieces there. That's exactly the gospel. See, it's not that we loved God. It's not that we were the husband who went and bought the roses. It's that God brought the appeasement for us, set it there. We simply need to embrace it. Now, if we ignore the roses and ignore the cross, there's still the anger. But the, the roses are there as the offering to appease God. And that's really what it is in the cross of Christ. And we love and embrace the flowers of the cross and offer it up to God and say, I, I got nothing. I got nothing, God. It's just the cross. Then God takes the cross as the wife takes the flowers. And we simply need to believe and trust Jesus. And we're no longer under his wrath, but we're under... We get life instead. Isn't that right? What verse, verse 9 says. In this the love of God made manifest. That God sent His only Son that we might live through Him. It was God's initiation that we would, would do that. In fact, true life even just comes right through Jesus. In fact, it's only through Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need those roses. And that's what takes place at the cross of Christ, what Christmas is all about. And apart from Him, we're destined to death. But He gave us life that we might live. And that's what Christmas love is. Christmas love is laying down your life that we might live. We saw that a few weeks ago. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love. Again, this love theme. How do, how do we know love? Here it is, that He laid down His life for us. And then, right, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That'll be our next point. But we're, we're focusing here on him laying down his life for us. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And those who lay down their lives for their friends are called heroes. And examples abound. I just want to give you three to kind of give you a flavor of, of even what Jesus did. Stephanie Decker. Do you have any idea who she is? She was in the news a couple years ago, three years ago. As soon as I start mentioning her story, you'll, you'll remember she lived in Henryville, Indiana. Tornado ripped through her hometown March 2nd, 2012. And her windows began shattering in her house and she heard the train, you know, the, just that tornado sound that, that comes, just the clickety-clack, it just sounds like a train. And she instinctively took her children and covered them over like, like this, hugged them, and they kind of complained. They said, we don't like this, because I don't either. But as that tornado whipped by, her, her brick wall came down, and she broke some ribs, and she had a punctured lung, and her legs were, were severely, uh, nearly severed in the accident. Her, her children, though, untouched. They went out, got her help, got her to the hospital, and when she, within a few hours, had both legs amputated, she laid down her life for her friends, for her children. Kyle Carpenter. Anyone know who he is? I mean, these stories abound. I mean, I just, I just pulled a few of them. Um, U.S. Marine deployed in Afghanistan 2010. 
November 21st, 2010. He's up, up on top of the roof in, um, in rooftop security. And I don't know how it is, but a grenade met them on the roof. And so he, protect his fellow Marine, he and another Marine were on duty, jumped on the, he attempted to cover the grenade, kind of by jumping on it, and it, it kind of got some of his face and his arm, his right arm was, his, one of his arms was just shattered, his right arm was, his jaw was shattered, just kind of a multiple surgery. He lost his right eye, eventually has almost any teeth, but was awarded the Medal of Honor because of his heroics to lay down his life for his friend. Uh, another example, Michael Lansbury. I don't think you know who he is. This was a year ago, October 21st, 2013, Sparks, Nevada. And that day, a 12-year-old came to school, still outside, I think, wielding a semi-automatic handgun. Well, Lansbury was a teacher, a math teacher there at this uh, junior high, I think. And uh, when shots rang out, you know, kids kind of scattering. And instead of running, this guy put his hands up and calmly tried to talk this 12-year-old out, drop the gun, it's okay, no one's going to harm you, and kind of went, so, so paused things and gave, gave time for some kids to run away, and this guy shot him in cold blood just right then. Then he turned it and shot himself, this child did. But Michael Lansbury laid down his life for his friends, for his students. And those are all pictures of what it means that Christ did for us. But see, they put themselves in harm's way to save just another human from human wrath or, or nature. But what God did was, was God laid himself between us and God, showing love, laying himself between us and God, satisfying God's wrath on our behalf so that we could live. He took the wall for us, or he took the grenade, or he took the gunshot. And that's love, that's Christmas love. But, but what makes Christmas love even greater is that we weren't his friends when he did that. And we, we think about Stephanie Decker and, of course, what parent would not do that for their child? And Marines are going to stand up for one another. And a, a teacher will certainly look out for the interests. Uh, a captain of the ship, women and children first, and he'll be the last one on the boat. That's just, that just comes with leadership. But what Jesus did was... He sought us not when we were friends, not when we were seekers of God, but he sought us when we were his enemies. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, when we were his enemies is when we were reconciled to God. We were described as children of wrath in Ephesians 2, verse 3. In other words, God's angry at us because of our sin, but that's precisely when he exposed his great love for us. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Can you finish it, Jordan? And that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. While we're sinners and helpless and his enemies, that's when he died. And I think that's the point here when it says that it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See, see, we weren't inclined to God when he died for us. We weren't like, okay, well, I'm, I'm loving God, so maybe God will love me back. No, it's God loved us totally first. Not when we were his enemies. That's what Christmas is about. A baby dying as a savior, saving us from our sins. You remember the angelic announcement? The angels come to the shepherds. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. Who's Christ the Lord, right? He's saving us. 
He had no moral obligation to save us. He wasn't bound by some constraint. No, he did it because he loved us. And according to the logic of our text, God's love for us ought to compel us to love one another. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. It's my application of the text. Moves us nicely here into our, our second point. First point, number two, God loved us. First and third points, which is my second point. Here it is. Love one another. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, these verses bring us back again to the purpose of 1 John. Right? Written to those who are professing faith in Christ. And, he, and he's writing that they might know that they have eternal life. 1 John 5.13, I, I think I've mentioned almost every sermon. Let's just say it again if you memorized it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this knowledge isn't through telling you that you have eternal life. This knowledge comes through these tests, right? This test of love. Do you see love in your life? You do. Yes, you may have confidence that you indeed have eternal life. Because, as John argues, love is from God, verse 7. Love is from God. That, That is, in other words, God gives us love. Our love comes from Him. And If you are trusting in him, he will give you this love and it will manifest itself in love. And those who love can have assurance that they have two things. Been born of God, verse 7. They can be assured that they know God, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 13. They know that they have eternal life. They know they have life with him. But it's, it's, it's what you do. See, because God is real and he's working in our life. And one of the ways that he works is that he, he gives love to us. He produces love in us. Now, if, if someone doesn't love, I don't care what they say. They don't have God. That, we'll, we'll get to that one of these weeks. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The command we have, verse 21, we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You can't say, I love God, and then freely hate your brother. It just doesn't work that way. You must love love your brother. In fact, it's because it comes from God, and God's essence is love. God is love. Now, just a caveat here. It doesn't say, love is God. Doesn't doesn't work that way. God is love. God is the originator of love. That's where it comes from. Doesn't say love, love is God. The Bible has has four of these statements. God is something. And sometimes people just say, Well, that's my theology. God is love. And if that's your theology, that it's got to be bigger than that. God is love. Second, God is. God is what? Well, yeah, maybe holy, but. It probably okay. So maybe there are more. There are more. God is light, is what I'm thinking about. First John four one five. First John one five. This is the message we have heard from Him, proclaimed to you that God is light, 
and in him is no darkness at all. I guess that gets maybe the holiness. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship with spirit and truth. And also say God is holy. Hebrews 12, 29, God is a consuming fire. So you need to think about that, that it's just not simply God is love is everything. It's God is a, a consuming fire as well. He's holy. That's why, that's why he's, he's wrathful towards some and, and grace and kind towards other. Both those come from his being and it depends on whether we've been shielded by Christ, his perspective before us. But the reality of verse 8 is if you don't know God, if you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. Now, verses 7 and 8 are, are difficult And here's why they're difficult. It's because we know people who don't know God, who have an incredible capacity to love. You know what I'm talking about? People who would never name the name of Christ. People who would never walk into the doors of a church building. Avowed atheists. And yet, some of the most loving people we know. Do names and faces come to your mind? I think of some. I mean, people who are loving. Now, it's, there's a difference. Some, I can sense it well, that yes, they're loving. But, but these are the kind of people that give you the shirt off their back. They will, they will go the distance for you. You're your friend, right? They, they will love you. They'll be faithful to you. And I can think of people in my, my life like this. And so how do you explain this? They deny God, and yet they may very well pass the love test of verse 7. Love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Well, they certainly love, but they're not born of God and they they don't know God. How do you explain that? Well, Jesus started to in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And he was saying this. He said, you've heard it said, right? You shall love your brothers and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for them. Because that's how God loves your enemies. He causes the rain to come on both the good and the bad. God loves your enemies. Because he gives them rain. He gives them food. He gives them due season. He is kind to them. And Jesus says... Do you just love because you're going to get a reward back? Gentiles do that. And I guess I'm thinking in my mind, right, these people that I know who love so much love because they know that they're going to have some love back. But I think John here in, in verses 7 and 8 is talking about a deeper love, a love that you can only explain because God is working in your life, that you can love people who don't give you anything back. I think that's what's talking about here in 7 and 8 in the light of what Jesus is saying. Because worldly love is love that, that gives and receives. But divine love is such that it gives regardless of whether it receives or not. And you guys know what that is like with your children. You, you, will, you will give to their, your children and I guess you receive some things back in their joy. But, but there are some ways they can't pay you back in, in any way. But, but I think the best way to understand verse 7 and this extensive tautology, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, I think the best way to understand is this. Beloved, let us love one another for genuine and true and long-lasting love is from God as it is part of His character and being. 
And whoever loves in such a way that his love can only be explained by God's working in his life has been born of God and knows God. I think that's what verse 7 is the best way to understand that. And so I guess I just ask you, do you love in this way? Because when we talk about the love test, I'm not sure there's any of you that say, no, I, don't, I love. But, but do you love in this way that's, that's self-giving, self-sacrificing, even when there's nothing in it for you to give to others? In other words, you might say it this way. Are there believers in your life who you find particularly unlovely? You find them difficult to love. You don't much care for them. But because of God's grace in you, you find yourself reaching out to them, demonstrating your love for them. And you're like, how am I loving these people? Like, I don't, you know, because I, you know, this is quirky, whatever this they got views that I don't have. They, they've done this. Or, like. But see, if God's working in you to love, that's genuine love. That's the first John love that we're talking about. That the only way that you can explain that love is God in your life. And if that's the case with you, you've passed the love test because God has given you this love that is like his love. And you can have the assurance you've been born of God. You can have the assurance that you know God. But if you only have that worldly love, that love that, that gives and, you know, you kind of get back and forth again. Well, the same sort of love your unsaved friends might have. Uh, that doesn't pass this test. Okay, so let, let's, let's, let's go from theory to practice here. We're real practical. I want you to think about this week. How have you loved others this week? How have you loved others? When it speaks about one another, I do believe he's like within the bounds of the, the church or within bounds of the fellowship community or within bounds, I think, of the greater circle of believers. How have you loved others, say, in this church this week? How have you loved other Christians that you know this week? And you, you can extend that to your unsaved. How have you loved unsaved people this week even as well? Can, can you think of some specific things you've done? Like if I said, okay, take out a piece of paper and just write some things down, some way that you've loved people this week. Are there some acts that you performed would give you assurance to pass this test? Things maybe you've done expecting nothing in return. Now, these can be anything from just verbally expressing your encouragement and hope and maybe seeking to help someone. I mean, love is so easy. Love is, is an email away. Love is a, a phone call away. I mean, we can love in ways that people of the first century couldn't as they had to go around and be... There was, the circle was smaller, but it was, it was more intense. But we can love around the world. We can love inward. But... And when you give words, love would give words just like what you would want to hear in your moment of need and trial or in help or encouragement or whatever. Or... Not just words, though, but in doing, right? We looked a few weeks ago, right? Uh, Let us not love in word or deed, chapter 3, verse 18, but in word and truth. Let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, right? Are there deeds you've done? Are there specific things you've done this week? People of the church. Maybe think about people, your family, maybe. 
But I, one another means a community of believers is mostly what it is. Well, now, it might be in, in, in attitude as well. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or it's not rude. It does not insist in its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So that might be an attitude. You might say, well, here's something when I just, I just hope for the best in this circumstance. That's love. Or I was just patient in the circumstance. That's love. Or, or I was kind in this way by, by doing this thing. There's a, a circumstance. Can, can you think of examples of those things? Okay, super, super practical now. We've done this kind of a, a couple times. I want you just to turn to your neighbor, whoever you're sitting by. Okay, if you don't have a neighbor, you've got a pencil. For like one minute, you can brag about how loving you were. Okay, this is the time. You're, you're writing the test. You've got to write it out. If it comes back blank, then you've got like nothing. But it can come back with something. So I want you to just talk with your neighbor in maybe 30 seconds each. You know, just, just a few ways you can think of, as I've been prompting you the past five minutes, of ways that you've loved. Go ahead. Fifteen more seconds. Okay, let's let's, let's pull it up. I just, you know, here you think about your whole week. And uh, this isn't something you did 10 years ago, right? Just something this week. And husbands, you ought to be really good about this with your wives. Wives should be good about this with your husbands. Just offering love towards one another. And if you're struggling to think about how did I love, well, it may be you failed the test. It may be that you've seen ways how you failed the test more than you have done the test. It's okay. It just draws us again to our need for Christ and the gospel. That's a wonderful thing. But it may be that you're failing in your observation skills as well. I'm, I'm just granting you grace and excuses here. It may be that, that God's working you. You just don't have the, either the maturity or the insight to see it. Maybe you don't, you don't really know. It, if you came up blank in that exercise, maybe be good this afternoon sometime, maybe to talk with your spouse or your parents or someone else and say, well... I had a hard time coming up with love. Can you, can you help me? Do you see that in my life? Because it should be obvious. And I think that's what verse 12 gets at. <clears throat> so we close to finish our text here. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I think the best way to explain this is this. 
is that we ought to love one another. And, and why he jumps then all of a sudden, verse 12, to we've never seen God. I think the idea here is that, is that there's something about love that shows God to the world. Because it says, no one's ever seen God, but listen, here it is. If we love one another, God abides in us, His love is perfected in us, and when His love is perfected in us, people see His love. And so as people see His love in us, they say, ah, believer, you can tell. I see that. Someone wouldn't just do that unless, they're, uh, unless God has changed them. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in other words, the world will look and see how people at Rock Valley Bible Church interact with each other. And they will see, ah, that church Disciples of Jesus, they love one another. They, they really do. And here's some examples of things I, I, I see. Maybe you think about that. Do unsaved people, are they in your life enough so they see how church loves one another enough? You know, a, uh, let's see what I, I got it here, right? This is a great way. If you have unsaved people in your house, it's right up here in the church. How about this? Hey, what's that about? Oh, that's our church. Let me tell you about our church. These are people who love. Let me tell you how some of these people have loved me. Let me, like this, this family right here, I just, I just love them. We were over with them recently, and, and we see them, and we've played ball with them. We, we've done this with them or whatever, and someone like an unsaved would be like, oh, wow, you guys really do love each You're, you're like a big family. You're like, you got it. They'll see, right? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a way to demonstrate being a genuine disciple is to love people of the church that's on your refrigerator, right? But I think there's also something else going on here. It's not purely evangelistically. It's also um, within the body some assurance. So for instance... People come into Rock Valley Bible Church, you know, come and laugh and whatever. But one of the things that, that happens is that when people come in here, they do sense a genuine love for other people. And, and people have told me that. People, right, visiting or newer or been here for three months or six months and whatever, two years, like, wow, these, they really genuinely love one another. And I just see that. And I just know that they're solid. They've loved me as I've come in. They've open their arms and they've welcomed me and but they've they really do that and so i think even believers see the church and say oh those are disciples of christ by this all people saved and unsaved will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another but i think coming back here to verse 12 isn't it an exciting thing that as you love other people god abides in us and his love is perfected on us and we put god on display and we show what god's love is like when we love each other people you want to say you want you want to tell people about god's love that's fine i've tried to do that but verse 12 says that you can show people god's love it says let me show you here's what god's love looks like you do this you do that you do this you help there or you you talk here that's that's the love test 
And how appropriate is that test for us at Rock Valley Bible Church? Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would work in us. May we never be satisfied, God, in where we are, where, where conviction needs to be brought. I pray you'd bring conviction where comfort needs to be brought. Oh, God, I pray you'd bring comfort. Father, in, in all ways, help us to see, God, that you, your love for us will far exceed and surpass any love that we show towards any people. God, but I pray that we would see this Christmas season and contemplate and think about the great love that you have for us in Jesus and how you sent him to die for us, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God, making him who knew no sin, sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, may we see that and may we see your your love poured out on us that we might in turn pour our love out upon other people. Please, God, just shower your grace upon us. Abide in us. God, may your spirit work in us. God, that we would genuinely love deeply. We give these things into your hands, O oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.